Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the FO Noon Show, your weekly roundup for all things NFL. My name is Kale Clinton. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jackson Roberts. Another week in the books, headed into week 15. Really in the thick of it now. We're getting the in the hunt graphics going. We've got fantasy playoffs rolling around. Like, we are in the thick of it. And, Kale, Saturday football begins this week. Families will be torn asunder as people, men, women, children alike, choose to sit on the couch for the entire weekend to watch NFL football. Cannot wait. Very excited. Are we... Are we really excited about this slate, though? Is the re- actually no? This is the this is the good week. I'm more worried about Christmas. This week we've got like a Miami. Ball yeah, ball I mean it's Christmas ball. Day. There's NBA too. That's the Sunday instead of the Saturday. Like we'll work around it. It's going to be interesting though. At least we get a good kind of foray into it. Exactly. Well, Jackson, let's not delay because once again we've got a jam-packed week of news that's marred at the top by some really tough injury news, as always. Kyle Murray, ACL tear, done for the season. Played just three snaps during Monday Night Football against the New England Patriots before going down with a non-contact injury. Colt McCoy fills in. Jackson, I, I... I don't always try and ask the big picture question because it's not always warranted. But in something like this, where do the Cardinals go from here? It's kind of a lost season at this point. It was already an underachieving season. Murray's, you know, pretty secure with the contract that he's received this past offseason in the form of that massive extension. I also extend Cliff Kingsbury, Steve Kime. The results have not panned out in that department. This roster isn't very well constructed, in my opinion, either. Jackson, where do the Cardinals go from here with Murray down for a, an extended period of time? <laughs> well, Kale, I think, number one, you lose every game for the rest of the season. That should be the goal. <laughs> do not do not win any more football games. Uh, I, Colt McCoy, I don't think he's capable of it anyway, but they do play the Broncos with their backup quarterback this week. Uh, very excited about that one, question mark. Uh, yeah, I, I think this team needs a complete and total reset for next season. Obviously, with the amount of financial commitment you made to Kyler Murray, things, I mean, he's going to have to stay. That's That's point number one. This team can be a good offense. We saw it last year. They were 15th overall offensive DVA, ninth in passing DVOA. And this year, they're 29th and 28th in those two categories. Things have gone catastrophically wrong. Murray's missed time himself. You thought coming into this season that when you're operating at your peak, your three best weapons for Murray to work with are going to be DeAndre Hopkins, Hollywood Brown, Rondale Moore. How many games did those three guys play together this year? Zero. So that's not helpful. You need to get everybody healthy for next season. But I think the Kingsbury and Steve Kime piece of it is kind of the elephant in the room here. Kingsbury's had enough time, right? He's had, I mean, this is season four 
right? For Cliff King. Yeah, this is season four for both Kyler and Cliff Kingsbury. The results haven't shown. They fall apart most years at the midway point. This year, they just never even got to a point where they could fall apart. I think it's I think it's time to take a serious look at the head coaching position. And I know they extended him out, but we've seen numerous long head coaching extensions get nullified just in the past year or so with John Gruden, with Matt Rule. Obviously, those are two different circumstances, but it's kind of all like the money's going to get paid, but it's not like it counts against the cap. So it doesn't hamper you. It's just whether or not ownership is willing to cut the check. And I think in the case of Cliff Kingsbury, that's going to be a very serious consideration. My, I'll give you pushback on one thing this season, at least like Colt McCoy will be able to operate with this team. In what way? <laughs> on the season, Kyler Murray, like already on pace for, Career low DVOA, negative nine point nine percent. Colt McCoy this season, negative nine point seven. Even last year, Kyler Murray, fifteen point six percent DVOA. When he missed time, Colt McCoy came in seven point one percent DVOA. It's not a crazy, crazy drop off. Plus, you have a surging James Conner. Like, I don't think this is now like worst team in the NFL status by any means. Like. Kurt McCoy, uh, Colt McCoy is a good replacement level quarterback where you can at least get like a viable sub in. Like it's not gonna like you don't have you don't obviously have the rushing capability, you don't have the high ceiling of Kyler Murray, but like he's good replacement level. Like Colt McCoy will hold water. That's all I'm saying. The large yeah, I mean they're water. gonna have to if they want to win another game, it's probably gonna have to be this Denver game. I know Tampa and Atlanta look terrible as well. Not excited to watch any of their remaining games by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I get that. I'm just saying, Lord, like, short-term, like, this team doesn't bottom out. Like, you know, they could give the Buccaneers, like, a decent game. They can give the Falcons a decent game. Like, I don't – like, I see them being a semi-competitive football team. I'm more saying long-term. Non-contact ACL, rough go. Like, you are – there's I, listen. Look at what happened to Odell Super Bowl. Non-contact, ACL, different age, different structure. But you've got a, you know, you've got a guy that's now been out for almost a calendar year. Like Kyler Murray will miss parts of the 2022 season, uh, potentially, or he'll at least not have an off season where he can't re- like he probably won't be able to play until like August training camp. Like he probably won't make an appearance in preseason. Like that is the timetable that we're working with it'll be really interesting to see how this team loads up for 2023 because right now like they've got some good young defensive pieces they've got like you know i think hollywood has a fifth year option that he's working with like do you like sell and reshuffle like do you try and like make some extra pieces work because right now like this isn't a competitive football team and it's in a division, like not only a conference, but a division that is getting increasingly competitive. And you see in the conference, like a lot more teams trying to vie, like outperform what they're doing right now. Multiple teams on a rebuild. Do you risk not being able to keep up if you hold Pat right now? Well, yeah. So this is your you know you're working with that timeline with Murray, and you're not changing the quarterback position. So that's the most unfortunate part of this is you 
probably aren't going to see Murray on the field with the rest of this offense until the start of 2023. That's just a given, but you're, I'm, Murray's the guy. Like you've, you've paid him to be the guy. Um, and this is why, in my mind, it makes no sense to win any of the rest of your games. You just want to build draft capital, try to build your roster. For all the talent they have on you know certain positions on both sides of the ball, they're still one of the worst teams on both sides of the ball this year. I, I get that they're not in like that, second worst team in the league tier and that's actually a really interesting debate like who is the second worst team right now uh you can make a lot of money if you figure out who the second worst team is and bet against them like you do the texans every week so yeah i just think for the cardinals it really becomes the most important question before you address any of the roster needs is cliff kingsbury staying next year if i had to like make a educated guess i don't think he is and i'm interested to see if uh, interested to see if steve kime goes as well because once you figure out kind of the stuff at the top that's when everything else starts to fall into place underneath it some big crossroads for the arizona cardinals as their franchise quarterback goes down for the long term feel, feel terrible for murray by the way as well if that yeah. wasn't like abundantly clear it was you know Every year we talk about the team or the two teams that have the season from hell uh, where everything goes wrong, usually a playoff team from the year before. Clearly that was the Cardinals this year. Um, Murray's getting character attacks. He's having his worst statistical season. And it looks like his team is just maybe getting healthy enough for him to start putting together some numbers at the end of the season, even if they're not going to make the playoffs and non-contact knee injury long-term health concerns that's just a really really tough one um part goes out to speaking of a season from hell from an injury perspective moving on to san francisco debo samuel suffers an mcl and a high ankle sprain according to kyle shanahan samuel's timeline is about three ish weeks it's had a bit of a down season. The usage is very high. The production from efficiency perspective is little low. 64th in receiving DYAR, 61st in receiving DVOA. Jacks yet another injury for the San Francisco 49ers team. We've talked a lot about how much Brock Purdy needs all these weapons to kind of keep him afloat in the interim. And now he loses another piece in Samuel. Yeah, this is a uh, a difficult week, I think, for the Niners. Uh, short week. We'll touch on the rest of their uh, news, injury news, and, and whatnot in the Thursday Night Football preview at the end of this show, so stick around for that. But you, you lose Elijah Mitchell one week and you lose Debo the next. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey plays a phenomenal game. Obviously, guys like Ayuk, Kittle, and even Jawan Jennings are still around to help you out. But, I mean, Debo is a big safety blanket for this team, and he's a Swiss Army knife. Uh, so there's a lot that you lose when he's not on the field. I still think, though, I mean, we, we were talking about four to six weeks initially with this injury when we first saw it happen. Uh, we weren't sure exactly if it was uh, an ankle, foot, shin, whatever, but could have been a lot worse. Could have been season ending from the angles we saw on the broadcast and as he's getting carted off. So three weeks is good. Um, I, I question the veracity of three weeks for sure, because this is typically a longer term injury when we talk about a high ankle sprain. But if it is three weeks, great news. Want him back in the regular season, getting a little tune up for the playoffs. 
might see Seattle again in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, so getting used to the Seattle team without Debo and then being able to bring him back for a potential rematch could be nice. Um, but overall, I think the main takeaway here is stinks, but also could be a lot worse. Do you see any sort of replacement level for Debo? Because right, like 49ers offense is very interesting in the sense that like you've got the dual, like you've got a, a couple now of dual threat guys and Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel. Like you have a traditional running back in Jeff Wilson. You've got, you know, one of your main receiving targets is Diggitch. Pro Football Reference still has the, like, Jeff Wilson's still the lead carrier for the 49ers from volume this season. But beside the point, like, you've got got your traditional running backs. You've got your dual threat guys. You've got, you know, George Kittle in the mix. You've got, like – do you see any step up or like, is it just more production for my uke? Is it like getting George Kittle more involved than he's been yes. in recent weeks? <laughs> yes. It has to be Jennings. I, I like Ayuk and Jennings. I think you're already getting a lot out of Ayuk. For me, it has to be Kittle. It should be Kittle. Uh, throughout his career, Kittle has demonstrated that he can be that guy. George Kittle only has more than five catches in two games this season. Uh, Both losses in which they were really kind of chasing the dragon all throughout the second half. He's become much more of a blocking tight end this year. He's still playing 80 to 100% of the snaps every game, but his targets are way down from a year ago. Uh, And he's got, you know, since he has not made more than four catches in a game since week seven. So he's there. We know he's amazing and they're not utilizing him. Maybe it's been a smart strategy for, you know, part of the season, They are currently on a six-game winning streak in those games that he does not have more than four catches, but it's time to get him more involved with Debo down. Moving on to Atlanta. We've got a bit of a quarterback switch-up that gets a little murky when you get into the details of it. There was a decision during the bye for the Atlanta Falcons to move on from Marcus Mariota to Desmond Ritter. Now, reports afterwards have uh, complicated the exact motive behind that because for the athletics, Josh Kendall, Arthur Smith said Mariota said Friday that he planned to step away from the team. This is also predated by some potential rumblings that Mariota was going to be out for the year with injury. Smith then followed up and clarified that this was a competitive slash performance reason for switching the quarterbacks and not just purely medical. You now get some additional wrinklings of reporting from just a few moments ago at saying Mariota done for the year, just got knee surgery. Odd scenario in Atlanta, but You're now getting a taste of the future in rookie quarterback Desmond Ritter. Draft, I think, 82nd overall in this year's draft. Hasn't really seen any sort of opportunity to work in this Atlanta team, which by all measures has a solid receiving core, solid passing attack from a prospect perspective, but is one of the most run-heavy teams in the NFL at present. Jackson, interesting switch up. 
but a unique opportunity to see what you have in a guy in Desmond Ritter. Yeah, I mean, just to close the loop on the Mariota piece, uh, was was put on injured reserve, so we know that. Uh, still seems like it was kind of an Irish exit situation. Not not really sure what to make of it, and depends on which reports you read, I guess. But weird. You would think that you would still finish out the season in the building with your teammates, even if you are uh, having a season-ending surgery. And Mariota has a $12 million option for 2023, uh, we are not typically in the business of speculating, but it, let's just say it's fair to say maybe it's a little less likely now that the Falcons pick up the option on Mariota. So you have Ritter coming in. Going to be honest, Kale, I'm not grinding college tape. I know that uh, a lot of people were pretty high on Ritter, but obviously the quarter market kind of dried throughout the draft process. So maybe people are thinking he's a third-round talent, but in other years he might be, you know, second at best, late first type of uh draft talent and we'll see what he is and i'm excited for it because you know they start with the saints this week the saints are in the complete opposite boat the saints are sticking with their beleaguered veteran quarterback who nobody seems to trust in andy dalton uh and i i see that as big upset potential for atlanta this week maybe maybe ritter cools down afterwards but i like kind of the mentality coming in with we just switch things up we trust our young guy and you know we're doing something new and exciting it's it's crazy that just no one wants to play with those 2015 first round quarterbacks, Mariota and Winston. <laughs> the it's interesting that this is now the second time that Arthur Smith has benched Mariota for another quarterback. The first time being in Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill, that obviously never flipped back to. Mariota. It'll certainly be interesting to see how the Falcons function because Falcons are going to be in a spot to maybe look at quarterback. This wasn't a terribly valuable investment in draft capital at the quarterback position because it was so low. I also now distrust a lot of, you know, I don't know how many repeats of 2018 or 2021 we're going to have, but with the quarterbacks in the draft, looking at what we had last year, I don't trust that we're going to have, you know, five guys go in the top 10 this year. It's an interesting class, but we'll see. Atlanta could be in a position, depending on what they see out of Desmond Ritter, to evaluate and to see if, you know, if he is the guy going forward. I like it. I, I think it was time. It, could have been time a while ago, uh, but at the very least, four weeks left is a decent sample size to help figure out. Uh, and from a matchup perspective, you know, it's mostly divisional games, or at least half of them are divisional games. So you know that, you know, they're a competitive setting because the Falcons, surprisingly, are still in position to contend for a playoff spot. Uh, honestly, there's three teams in that division that pretty much control their own destiny right now in Tampa, Carolina, and Atlanta. Uh, but at the same time, it's not like you're facing juggernaut. So you have a chance to see what the kid can do under reasonably favorable circumstances. Might have been better to have Kyle Pitts in the mix, but I digress. Moving on. Back to our Monday Night Football game where an investigation has been launched. Devontae Parker. 
was seen at one point, took a took a really bad hit, was exhibiting concussion-like symptoms, could not stand up. Matt Jones runs hurry up because they're against the clock. Aguilar is trying to kind of, you know, stop the play. Almost willing to draw a false start to call that timeout just to get Parker off the field. The NFLPA is now conducting an inquiry as to why the game wasn't stopped when Parker had exhibited those concussion-like symptoms. Parker smoke out via his Instagram saying, get on y'all's effing job at NFL. Thankful my brother Nelson Aguilar was aware of the situation. Scary scene, Jackson. There are now concussion spotters at games. It seemed like the NFL was kind of up on, like really paying attention to head health, to concussion-like symptoms in the wake of the Tua Tungavailoa injury. And then they dropped the ball like this on a national stage. It's tough to see. When are we ever really going to trust that the NFL is on the ball long-term, right? It's it's something like this is always going to crop up. This is uh, hard to say it's a surprise. Um, I will say it's a little bit tough, right? Like things are happening quite fast, obviously. It is somebody's specific job to look out for and spot these injuries. And our guy, Chris Nowinski, who we last heard from on this show uh, during the Tua concussion situation, pretty much posts uh, that this was the best and worst that you could see from the NFL uh, from a uh, concussion perspective. Great work. Uh, Calls Aguilar teammate of the year, uh, but also says that immediately when Parker goes down, there are obvious, quote, no-go signs, uh, which is, you know, pretty easy for your average person to see and should be very easy for a professional concussion spotter to see. Uh, and when he makes the catch specifically, all eyes should be on him. So definitely drop the ball. Not sure why we have any reason to believe they won't drop the ball again in the future, but hopefully the NFLPA continues to step up and push for reform. Ever the optimist, Jackson Roberts. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> it is. Listen, we are approaching playoff time. It is time to acquire depth. Biggest name on the wide receiver market for a while was Odell Beckham Jr. And yet two of the top teams vying for him have gone in the different direction. The Colts, or sorry, the Cowboys have signed former Colts wide receiver T.Y. Hilton. While the stats were down last year, Hilton actually looked okay from a uh, efficiency metric in a healthy season he was you know appeared in 10 games 23 receptions 331 yards three touchdowns all career lows lowest yards per game total as well but 79 dyar 14.5 dvoa so while he was seldom used he was doing okay while being used cole beasley on the other side 82 catches, 693 yards last year. Briefly, you know, asked for a trade, asked for a trade request in March, didn't get it, was cut. Made a brief appearance at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, really uninvolved there. Uh, eventually retired. Adrian had said it was to spend time with his family. Beasley said in an Instagram comment that they just have too many guys there and he was never going to see the field. So, yeah, he'd rather spend time with his family than live in Tampa Bay. 
Weird ricochet shot at Tampa Bay, Cal. <laughs> Tampa Bay isn't like away from his family, is what I'm saying. Not <laughs> like, you know, not like throwing pot shots at Tampa Bay. But unique signings for both these teams as they look to gear up for the playoffs, Jackson. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting how different the two signings are. Uh, the Bills obviously very familiar with Cole Beasley, has spent a lot of time there. Uh, just last year, Cole Beasley caught 82 balls for the Buffalo Bills. Um, and Isaiah McKenzie tweets at Cole Beasley, quote, the floor is all yours, brother. Uh, McKenzie, maybe some of us had higher hopes for this year. Still been productive in the touches he's got with 79 DYAR and uh, 380 for four touchdowns from a numbers perspective. But they did need another body in the receiver room somewhere. Uh, and Beasley, obviously a guy they have a lot of familiarity with. So the signing makes a lot of sense, but I'm more excited. I think about this Hilton signing for the Cowboys. Cause if you look at the Cowboys, they have CD lamb, right? Double the receiving yards is their number two pass catcher on the team. CD sitting at 961, Noah Brown in second with only 484 and T Y Hilton. Yeah. Last year was the worst year of his career. He only plays in 10 games. Uh, he fails to reach even 500 receiving yards for the first time. But before that, he's a four-time Pro Bowler. Uh, and 2016, which is not crazy long ago, he leads the league in receiving yards. Like these, This is a legit, talented receiver who's still only 32 years old, probably not going to reach his prime again, but could be a really interesting kind of secondary option, uh, helping, thing, helping you kind of open things up for CeeDee Lamb. We've already seen them really kind of manipulate the way CeeDee Lamb is used in the passing game, sending him in motion more than ever the past few weeks. Uh, and this just gives them another tool to kind of rework their offense a little bit and see what kind of looks they can get him and CD. So I'm excited. I think T.Y. Hilton's a really good ad for this team. Yeah, very good depth piece for the Dallas Cowboys and T.Y. Hilton. Buffalo shoring up their slot position with Jamison Crowder on injured reserve and Isaiah McKenzie just not getting the production you want. Like six drops, almost exclusively playing in the slot, and yet Stefan Diggs has almost 100 more receiving yards out of the slot per ESPN than McKenzie does on the season. The one thing that sticks, though, the common denominator for these teams, no Odell. Odell seemingly off the table. Uh, there were some reports saying that he's now holding off to be the prize candidate of the 2023 wide receiver class in the offseason to come back fully ready. But I also think this tells you a lot that both teams just weren't willing to sign on to Beckham for 23 and that Beckham probably – wasn't as far on uh as far progressed into recovering from his ACL tear as we originally thought. No, it doesn't seem like it is at all. Um and obviously a torn ACL is hard to come back from and he suffered it at the worst possible time you can during the calendar during the NFL season, which is the very end. Uh so we always assume that like a season-ending injury means somebody will be back at the start of next season, uh, but that's just not the case when it happens so late in the year. And Odell has an injury history outside of the ACL tear, and it's obviously it gets harder and harder uh, the older you get to come back from these things. So it's not like Odell, um, you know, doesn't still have a career ahead of him, won't necessarily get 
a multi-year deal out of all this, but it's fair to say that this hasn't progressed the way he would have wanted it to. And that's, that's okay. That, that happens sometimes, but good on both of these teams for making alternative plans. Speaking of wide receivers, Jackson, we got a little look into one of the biggest offseason moves of last offseason. That's Tyreek Hill leaving the Chiefs to go to the Miami Dolphins. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so this is really interesting to me because we don't often get a peek behind the curtain uh, in such a candid fashion from a player about just laying it out there, the reason why they decided to force their way out of a situation. And that's exactly what we got this week from Tyreek Hill. Now, Tyreek Hill goes on Club Shay Shay, Shannon Sharp's uh, podcast, uh, individual production outside of FS1. And he pretty much lays it all out there. He says that he wanted out starting in the middle of last season, not going into this offseason. He already knew he wanted out because he didn't feel enough involved in the offense game to game and that some games he would only get two to three targets. He would have meetings with wide receiver coaches in practice where they would say they wanted to get him more involved, uh, but he wasn't feeling like he was getting involved consistently enough. So eventually he texts his agent, quote, bro, I've got to get out of here. Um, Hill does end up with one game last season with only two targets and another with only three. Still ends the year with a career-high 159 targets, but if you look at this year, he's already at 139 with 13 games to go. So on pace to blow that away. Clearly more involved in the Miami offense than he was in Kansas City. Easily on pace to set a new career-high in receiving yards as well. So, Kale, what do you make of this little peek behind the curtain here? I listen. I, I said it. I I don't think I could. I don't think I said it when the trade happened. But like said it at different points this season, it's looked like a win-win for the Chiefs, and like it's it's a win-win trade for both sides. I understand where Tyreek Hill is coming from. He was still getting involved. Like Kansas City hosting the New York Giants last year in eighteen target games. Like it, like. Trust me, I saw that. High, yeah, it's some high, some low. It's hyper situational. He also goes games in this stretch, like against you know Green Bay. He's an eleven target game with four receptions. Like he's you know, wide receivers are their own best PR guys. Like he's not gonna you know get into the nitty gritty there. He's gonna sell himself as best he can. But listen. The Chiefs were going a different direction this offseason. I think it's going to help them long-term. It felt like at points during the early stages of Mahomes' career that the Kansas City Chiefs offense was Mahomes going to Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and a little else. But as long as you had those three guys that are, you know, game-breaking offensive talents, it's going to work because you're just going to get by by skill alone. Listen, Tom's undefeated. I guess, like, taking one loss in Tom Brady, but even, you know, he's taking a step back this year. But, like, that can't last forever. You start moving on to, multiple, like, multiple receiver sets. But now you see a Chiefs team that is, like, outside of Travis Kelsey, so expansive in who they get their targets to. They've got three different tight ends alongside Kelsey that they're rotating in. They've got, you know, there are five, six deep at potential receiving options. 
they've gone now like I think they're three running backs deep at this point, and they've got a passing back in their backfield finally. Like the offense is much more expansive in who they're getting to. And I think that's like the next evolution in Mahomes' game. And that's who this team's about. It's about Mahomes. It's not about like building a full offense as long as you have Mahomes at the helm, like you're doing everything to maximize his skill set. So now you're just not doing full backyard football stuff. You're turning him to a real quarterback with the ability to also do the game-breaking backyard football stuff. (laughs) Yeah, we see the backyard football stuff every week still. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, I think we talked about how involved Hill was in the Kansas City offense, and I get that he was, and I get that he had the 18-target game and all that, but I do understand when you're a guy like Tyreek Hill, you want to be the clear number one in an offense. That's just kind of the nature of a competitor, uh, and he doesn't necessarily say that out loud. And people will you know, knock him for it because he says in the clip that he's such a team first guy. But I don't blame him for wanting to be the number one guy in an offense when you're that good, uh, when you're up for you know potential long-term contracts. Um, you want to make your money and you want to be the guy in an offense. Like That's just how competitive people think. So I, I totally get that. I know that the Chiefs have still been the number one offense this year. I know that I still have all the faith in the world in Patrick Mahomes, and they're as much of a threat to win it all this year as anybody, but I think you still want to have Tyreek Hill in the playoffs. You're still going to miss that presence. You're going to miss the game-breaking ability. You think about the Super Bowl they win, uh, and that game is up in the air, and you just throw one deep ball to Tyreek Hill who burns everybody, and that just completely changes the entire game and wins you your first Lombardi if you are Patrick Mahomes. So I, I get that this was maybe the right move for them long-term, but I think you're still going to miss that guy a lot in the postseason this year. Yeah, but you also look at what, like, Miami did against the Los Angeles Chargers, and, like, you can game plan for one guy. Like, you can game plan for a singular player or, like, a singular They have two of those guys, and now they have one. I get that. I'm just saying, like – now you get into the multiplicity of it. Like, currently on the Dolphins, it's 139 targets for Tyreek, 94 for Jalen Waddle, Trent Sherfield with 42. They have five guys with over 20 targets on the year. You go to Kansas City, it's much more spread out. You've got four different guys above 50 targets. You've got an additional four players, five players above 20 targets. Like, you can go to a lot more different skill sets. And you're a more complete team. It's harder to just shut down one fantastic option. Like, now you can worry about Kelsey, who's game-breaking enough where he's, like, already tough to cover in a certain capacity. But then you've got, like, the additional, like, you've got a route runner like Juju. You've got a field stretcher like MVS. You've got a guy coming out of the backfield in Jack McKinnon. Like, you have a second tight end, no Gray, if you want to go 12 personnel. Like, you've got a lot more things that you can actually do. while. You know, with Miami, like, there's two different ways to game plan for it. San Francisco ran a ton of cover, two, Tough to get those same kind of vertical routes against because Tua might not be the guy to throw those hole shots like a Pat Mahomes is. Chargers, on the other hand, like, run a ton of press coverage. And outside of a ball where Michael Davis slips and Tyreek picks up a 60-yard touchdown, he would have finished two for eight for 12 yards on that game if you take out that 60-yard passing play that ends up being broken coverage. Like, there's ways to shut down 
a singular player. But as you get deeper, like it works, listen, it works for Miami. Tyreek got what he wants. He got the money he wanted. And it's like a game-breaking singular player to have for a Miami def- uh, Miami offense. But long-term, like going into the playoffs, like, yeah, it might help to have that guy in one situation. But it's also better to be a harder-to-diagnose overall offense with a quarterback that can elevate others around him. I'm just interested because I feel like you have more of a chance to win a title in 2022 with Tyreek Hill than you do with the combination of Juju, MVS, and Sky Moore. So I I definitely like the fix long-term. I definitely still think they can win it this year. Tyreek Hill is still Tyreek Hill, though. I feel like you got to put a little more respect on his name. This is something we should talk about on The Takeaway and not the news show. <laughs> Tune into the YouTube on Saturdays. Let's get into our quick hitting injury roundup. Rapid fire through this. Let's start back with the Cowboys. Bit of a revolving door at the offensive line. Cowboys lose Terrence Steele for the rest of the season due to an ACL tear. But left tackle Tyron Smith, who's previously ruled out in week one of the season, just before the season was starting, Expected to make his first start of the year against the Jaguars, Jackson. Can't catch a break for this Cowboys offensive line. Been up and down all year with injuries, but it's nice to see their LT1 get back into the mix just in time, really. Yep, exactly what they needed, but also terrible loss at the same time. A a one-out-one-in scenario that we – are going to be hard-pressed to prognosticate until we see it on the field. But this is just kind of how football goes. You gain some, you lose some, you see how it all works out in the end. Uh, but definitely good for them to be getting their guy back on the offensive line, who I think we all thought at the beginning of the year uh, when he was already down and Dak was out that this team could completely fall apart. Obviously, that doesn't happen, and now he gets back, and we'll see how far he can take him. Speaking of perfect timing, maybe the worst time for a surging Cincinnati Bengals team looking like they were starting to put themselves in the conversation for those AFC contenders. And then they just get banged up against the Cleveland Browns. Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins both day to day. Boyd with a dislocated finger. Higgins with a hamstring. Trey Hendrickson is also still being evaluated for injury but will not go on IR, at least in this capacity, they have, you know, a Jamar Chase, a Sam Hubbard to supplement, like, specific injuries. But this is a Bengals offense that's really built on that wide receiver trio. Keyword trio and losing even one piece, let alone two, is going to throw a wrench into this Bengals offense at the worst time. Yeah, and that's if they're out, right? We they're both they both could play this week. Uh and who knows if they do play if they're still fully themselves. So um I see it from two angles. I see it from the angle of we just want to have everyone healthy for the playoffs because they've done a great job in recent weeks of shoring up that playoff spot when it if for a while there it was looking like an iffy proposition. But I also see hey we really want to win this division, get a home playoff game. Uh, and, and just kind of cement it all that way, knowing that Cincinnati is a tough place to play. It could be cold. You could be getting the Dolphins coming in there in a cold weather situation. So um, I, I definitely get 
how they could how they could take this both routes, try to rush these guys back or give them the week off. And I'm I'm interested to see how it plays off. And really the same thing with Hendrickson, because he is kind of their game breaker up front. Uh, and and if he's around, obviously that gives them a better chance to win in the short term, but you don't want to risk him actually hurting himself so badly that he's out for the year. So really interesting dilemma that they're dealing with on both sides of the ball. I the interest the interesting thing is the injuries that they're dealing with are the two things you kind of need as a wide receiver. The hands to catch and the legs to run. (laughs) They're banged up on both fronts right now. Speaking of banged up, staying at the top of that AFC North division race, Ravens are in a uh, fascinating, it's one word, position to be in at the quarterback position. Could have Lamar Jackson. Could have Tyler Huntley, could have neither. Lamar Jackson dealing with a PCL sprain. Huntley currently in concussion protocol. Harbaugh originally diagnosed Lamar Jackson as one to three weeks out, uh, particularly a week to week injury. Jackson, he also has no idea when either quarterback is going to be available. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm a little more concerned about this one. Uh, I would really. Love to see more optimism that Lamar Jackson could be back this week because then that would be setting it up for next week. Not really seeing that optimism. Sort of seems like it's trending towards another week on the bench for Lamar. I think this is a like same with the Bengals. I think it's valuable to win the division. I think having that home playoff game matters uh, and you don't want to be going up against a two or a three seed in the first round. So I would really like to see them continue to win. And they obviously did a good job to win against the Pittsburgh Steelers this past week. And I still think you have every chance to win against the Cleveland Browns this week with a backup quarterback. But the longer that you don't know when your QB1 is going to be back, the longer that you start to just, you know, lose time to plan for the playoffs. Uh, Your odds of losing these games that you should win also goes up. And and you just want to win this division. So you want your guys available to help you take care of that. Speaking of playoff hopefuls, we move over to New York. Getting pretty banged up over there as well. Jets quarterback Mike White takes about as hard of a legal hit as you can still take as a quarterback in the NFL. Bruises his ribs, goes down for a stretch, but finishes out the game waiting on clearance from doctors to play. Quinn and Williams. Meanwhile, goes down with a calf injury. He's 50-50 to play this week. Meanwhile, Zach Wilson has ascended to QB2 role in the event that Mike White goes down. Jack's Jets are still trying to hold on to a shot at the wild card. Lost back-to-back games at this point bit of a tough stress, a tough test for a New York Jets team that has pretty much overperformed expectations through the first half of this season at the very least. Yeah, and we're also creeping back towards the potential return for Zach Wilson with him being elevated to QB2 above Joe Flacco. Uh, That was a move that Robert Sala makes after seeing Joe Flacco come in for a little spurt and not having much of an impact, recognizing that although Zach Wilson has been disappointing on many levels, he still has some value 
in the in the ground game and you know mo- from a mobility standpoint that can maybe help you win more than Joe Flacco. So if Mike White gets a little more hurt, all of a sudden you're seeing Zach Wilson come back in and things could get very interesting very fast. Uh, but I think Williams is the big story here too because he's been um, you know an impact guy on a defense full of surprising impact guys this year. And if he's even if he's playing but is hampered, that could still be uh, a big effect against a <laughs> Detroit passing offense that can be prolific if you are not pressuring the quarterback. But when you are, you can really slow it down. That's just who Jared Goff is and has proven himself to be all season. Uh, so you really want Williams able to give it a full go and able to disrupt that passing offense. Moving on to the Houston Texans, who can only be mentioned alongside playoffs. If you have one of their players in your fantasy playoffs. And if you do, you probably didn't make your playoffs, to be honest. Hey, you could have this one guy who's going to throw a wrench in said playoffs. Texans rookie running back Damian Pierce set to miss this week at the very least with a high ankle sprain. Could miss up to three weeks. Last three games, three of the last four games for the Texans are the Chiefs, Titans, and Jacksonville Jaguars. Tough slate for them. And fill in the role for Mr. Pierce is going to get tougher because the Houston Texans just cut running back Eno Benjamin. And it's not like they've got a ton of depth on their running back room to begin with. Splitting those reps is likely to be a combination of Dare Ugombawale and Rex Burkhead. <laughs> what a what a list of names. Uh <laughs> I had somebody in my fantasy league this week spend their remaining free agent budget on both Dare Ugombawale and Rex Burkhead. So good luck with that, Adam. Hope they pay off for you. The Texans roster this year has been so weird. It's like, cut a guy, bring a guy in. You know, Benjamin doesn't work out. Amari Rogers catches a touchdown this past week and maybe is finding himself a fit in Houston. Top two receivers down. Playing a two-quarterback system like it's Friday Night Lights. Really weird. Don't know what their plan is for the rest of the year, but like kind of curious to watch it continue to play out because they kind of almost beat the Cowboys this week. And even though they are you know, a a list of no names on the roster for the rest of the year. At least they're deploying them in kind of an interesting way. And the the way they've also handled injury news uh, has been very interesting. This is from Aaron Wilson. Uh, Lovey Smith apparently says, Damian Pierce has an ankle injury. Brandon Cooks, Nico Collin, Derek Stingley. When they'll be back exactly, I don't know. Uh, Texans, wheels are falling off. Closing out the show, Jackson. With Thursday night football news, Niners at Seahawks, a crucial game for the race in the NFC West. Note that we've already talked about Debo Samuel. Haven't talked about Brock Purdy yet. Dealing with a rib dealing with rib and oblique injuries, labeled as day-to-day. Limited in practice already, but this is a tough, tough bounce back for the quarterback that has uh, 
Yeah, Mr. Relevant led Niners to 2-0. Should have muted that tab. Unfortunately, did not. Uh, according to Purdy, I can still jog and run and do all that kind of stuff, but I haven't tried playing football yet. <laughs> That's an important thing to try. Not going to lie. But uh, I think, you know, this is this is a tough week given the injury, given the short week, given losing Debo Samuel. Um, I'm, I'm really curious to see. I think this is, you know, it's not like we haven't already found out a lot about Brock Purdy, uh, how much he's been able to step into a role and lead them to two crucial wins. Uh, but I think we'll really find out even a lot more this week uh, dealing with this difficult set of circumstances, having a full week of tape on him now. Uh, I'm, I'm curious that Seattle's defense should be able to take care of business against them, but it is in Seattle. It's a game where the Seahawks are fighting for their playoff lives. Uh, and I think we're really going to find out what, what Brock Purdy is made of if we haven't already. Moving on to Seattle. Kenneth Walker, running back for the Seahawks, still questionable. The hamstring injury missed last week. DJ Dallas also missed last week. However, Walker, who didn't practice at all last week, was a full participant in practice Tuesday. Going to need Walker's presence if they have any hopes of beating the 49ers. It was a down rushing game for a Seahawks team that has ultimately relied on the rushing attack for good portions of their year. A season low of a negative 85.8 offensive rushing DVOA against the Carolina Panthers last week with Travis Homer at the helm. Yeah, uh, not a good week. It wasn't the uh, the Seahawks definitely are – as much as we love what Geno Smith has done this year, and we're about to talk about Geno Smith, spoiler alert, um, there's still a team that kind of needs some ground impact, I, I feel, uh, from week to week. And, and this is obviously a big piece. We talked about the Niners, you know, how much they're going to miss their guys this week. Seems like Kenneth Walker may be trending towards playing, as you said, as a full participant in practice Tuesday, but uh, we don't know yet for sure. And I think that, and, and what we've said is pretty much a must-win game at this point. Uh, you really do need the impact in the ground game from the guy that's been, you know, I mean, we, we talked about losing Rashad Penny. He was great at the start of the year. Walker has been almost equally great. Um, you could even say it better. I probably wouldn't because of the efficiency that Penny had for them. But Walker has still been uh, able to step into that role as a bell cow back. Moving on to said Geno Smith. Spoke at a press conference, talked about his bit of aggressive play as of late, quote, I've got to get back to what I was doing early on, which was just taking what they give me. Seahawks have lost three of their last four games. What's interesting is the completion percentage is still high, but over the course of those four games, it's thrown Four interceptions, including two against the Panthers, has taken 13 sacks over that stretch. Is still dealing, still kind of scoring, you know, 10 touchdowns over those four games. But the turnovers has been what's killed the Seattle Seahawks in these last four games. Yeah, I think that 
you know, things happen. You get a Walker injury. Uh, you start to play games where you fall behind a little bit. And you've seen Geno Smith become, I mean, it's not like we didn't see it at all at the start of the season, but really in the last four weeks, he's been kind of forced to be the driving force behind this offense, kind of the linchpin holding everything together. And I don't think he's proven that he can't do that. I just think he's, you know, we've seen that the mistakes are still in there along with, you know, some of the big play capability. He's still making, you know, five, six amazing throws every week. DK, Tyler Lockett are still really, you know, scoring and making an impact, but you are seeing a bit of an uptick in turnovers and the Seahawks, you know, with the defense that they have are probably going to give up a lot of points off those turnovers in any given week. We saw it against Carolina. So in order for this team to make the playoffs, to achieve the end goal that we kind of established for them midseason, I think it's time for, you know, even the next evolution of Geno Smith still stay explosive, still be throwing multiple touchdowns a week. No more two interception games, you know, match up with the the, the good teams you're going to see down the stretch. And really, you know, they, they got a Jets game left as well. Like these are these are good defenses that you're going to be seeing. And he's going to be asked to really kind of continue driving that offense. And they now go against a 49ers defense that is tied for a league low in yards per offensive play. And. <laughs> fifth in the league in forced turnovers. So that'll be a test if they hope to win the NFC West. Didn't mean to rhyme, but that'll do it. (laughs) They've done some naughty, naughty things to, uh, to a tug of Iloa and Tom Brady the last two weeks. It's been, it's been mean. That'll do it for our show. Thank you as always for listening to the FO News Show. Gotta thank our sponsor before we do our usual little outro. And that's to thank our friends at Underdog Fantasy. Play on Underdog Fantasy with us and double your first deposit up to $100 with promo code OUTSIDERS. Are your season-long fantasy teams floundering? Play Underdog's Battle Royale, a fast six-round weekly fantasy football draft with easier chances to win than traditional fantasy sports sites. You can even win $50,000 if you grab first place or you try their pick them games where you can easily pick players' chances to go higher or lower than projected stat lines, even in states where traditional prop betting currently isn't available. Underdog is the fastest-growing fantasy sports site around. Join the fun over at underdogfantasy.com or download Underdog in the App Store and use promo code OUTSIDERS now to double your first deposit up to $100. Jackson's underdog pick of the week is Isaiah Pacheco. Do not buy the dip. Last week, we're Jarrett McKinnon game. They will run all over the putrid Houston Texans defense. That'll do it for us this week. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you're watching on YouTube, Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Helps us out a lot. You can check out the VODs over wherever you get your podcast on the FO Podcast Network. If you're on Twitch, hit follow. You can join us every week, Wednesdays at 1 o'clock, same time, same place. You can also ask us questions. Join in on the chat. 
Thank you to Patrick Sealy and Old Heady 403 for getting involved, talking a little Patriots with us this show. Jackson, thank you as always for co-captaining this ship and co-hosting this show. Always a pleasure. It's a fun ship to co-captain, Kale. Shout out to our audience as well, as you said. And I want to, you know, if you made it to this part of the show, I'll give you a little treat for the VOD on, up on YouTube. You go, you go in that comment section, you tell me who that second worst team in football is behind the Houston Texans. I want to know so I can make a profit in the coming weeks. Is it the Rams, Broncos, maybe even the Colts? Head in that comment section and tell me who is number two. Fascinated. Fascinated to see those results as well. Getting a little CTA call to action. That'll do it for us. Thank you as always, and we will see you next week.